This is an ABC podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beats on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Ewart. So coming up with FIFA World Cup places secured for both bragging rights at stake for New Zealand and New Caledonia in the IFC Under-17 Championship Final. As he takes the reins of Tonga Rugby's A-team, former sports minister Sasefo reflects on the lasting impact of bailing out of the Pacific Games. Spend the money in making Tonga play sports and educating Tonga how to eat properly. If we spend the money in making Tonga play sports, I think we will be a very happy and healthy country. And Athletics PNG realistic about their chances as they prepare to field a team at the World Cross Country Championships for the first time in 25 years. We know that we're not going to be competitive at the world level, but it's about giving the athletes that experience and building towards other things. We just want them to go out there, enjoy themselves and do their best. More to come from Tony Green, the president of Athletics PNG, a little later in the programme. First up, though, the World Rugby Sevens bandwagon has rolled into Sydney with the men's series reaching round five and it's round four for the women. In the men's competition, New Zealand are on top of the standings, eight points clear of Samoa in fifth and 13 ahead of Fiji, who are surprisingly back in eighth with concern growing perhaps that the Olympic champions might miss out on automatic qualification for the Paris Games next year. Fijiana lies seventh on the women's ladder with New Zealand, Australia and the USA in the top three positions and well clear of the rest. Sports writer Tia Rocco is in Sydney for three days of top-class at Sevens action, and she joins us on Pacific Beach to preview the weekend ahead. Uh, Tia, good morning. Welcome to the programme from Sydney. Good morning and Pacific greetings from Sydney. And yes, Richard, I'm here for what's going to be an amazing weekend at the HSBC Sydney Sevens. And I'm so very excited to be here finally, Richard. It's uh, it's always a good weekend uh, at the Sydney Sevens, uh, always produces some exciting uh, matches. And um, I think for the Pacific Nations this weekend, um, certainly Fiji, Samoa, they're under quite a bit of pressure, aren't they? And, and the action starts... Just just a few hours' time. Yes, Richard. What is exciting about the Sydney Sevens uh, being in Sydney is that um, it's the melting pot for what is a very rich and diverse community, if that a multicultural melting pot, um, Richard. So in Sydney, we have the highest number, as a bit of context, of Pacific communities, in particular in the western parts of Sydney, who no doubt will be in attendance this weekend. Of course, we all know the last Sydney Sevens was held in 2019, whereby Richard um, Fiji won that tournament. So we're looking forward to an exciting weekend. The women's teams represented by uh, the Pacific is Fiji and PNG. And for the men, Samoa, Fiji and, of course, Tonga, Richard. Yeah, and uh, Tonga will be playing Fiji first up. I mean, that's a huge banana skin in the making, isn't it, for Fiji? (laughs) They haven't been going too well for the last couple of weeks. Tonga knocked off Great Britain uh, last week in Hamilton. They also had a win over Uruguay, a team that they lost to in the uh, qualifying tournament, I think, a couple of years ago. So they're not in bad nick, Tonga. I mean, are, are Fiji at risk here? 
Well, you know, Richard, it's um, it's a bit of a catch twenty two with uh, with seven. So uh, we're hoping to see uh, an exciting lineup. Uh, you know, we're starting off the games uh, this morning with the Fiji women. So after meddling in three of their four women's uh, serious events last season, Fiji is still chasing their first top four finish this time round. And head coach Sayasa Fuli will be looking uh, for a good response this weekend. Uh, there without one of their key players. They're competing at the sevens. Also is the PNG women, a team no doubt uh, that will grow in time, Richard. So massive support expected from the Fijians and the PNG community. And of course, uh, with uh, Tonga and Samoa, Richard. So yeah, very exciting. The Fijian men, of course, being a crowd favourite purely uh, because of their prowess and sports market entertainment value, Richard. Uh, definitely a crowd uh, favourite. They're also playing uh, the Tongan team in day one, so hoping to catch some of the colourful stories uh, from that and hoping to speak to some of the Pacific teams here, Richard. Uh, but it looks like, yes, there is a bit of a worry in the Fiji camp. Um, you know, we're looking at um, a possible, um, you know, um, uh, a decrease in their points if they are, as you mentioned earlier, they will be uh, failing to um, qualify for the Olympic qualification so that is a bit of a worry this morning, uh, as we heard so, um, you know, we're hoping that Tonga returns to the HSBC uh, Sevens for the first time since 2019 and they arrive fresh from last weekend's 10th place finish in Hamilton which had their best result at a serious event since Wellington in 2012 Richard. Yeah, well, Tonga uh, absolutely, I think, have their ideas in uh, gate-crashing the party in the next year or two under the new qualification system. But, but just to focus on, on the Fiji men for a moment, I mean, th- they haven't managed to finish in the top four at any tournament s- since Hong Kong. So they've missed out on three tournaments in a row, which I suspect hasn't happened for a long, long time. And people may or may not be aware, but if you finish first, second, third or fourth at the end of the series, then you qualify automatically for the Olympics in Paris next year. Fiji have done that at a canter in the past. Now, (laughs) people are saying, are they going to do it this time? It's unthinkable, isn't it, that the gold medalists would have to go through some sort of qualification program, but it's looking that way. Yes, and one cannot imagine a sevens tournament um, at international level uh, without the Fijians uh, participating in. So Fiji failed um, to medal again in Hamilton in a bid to make up some of their lost ground. And head coach Ben Gollins has made a couple of changes with Nanduva and Dongunu coming into the squad. Um, So, yes, but Fiji have historically done well in Australia. Uh, They're chasing their seventh cup title here and a second in Sydney. So, fingers crossed, Richard, uh, we will see something positive coming out of this uh, leg of the tournament. And what do you make of of Samoa? I mean, they go to Cape Town and win. They're sitting on top of the standings for the first time in a long, long time. And then they go to Hamilton and it all goes wrong and they end up finishing ninth. Um, I guess the key word here is consistency. The, The talent is clear. They just need to be able to do it tournament after tournament. Well, yes, Richard. Uh, You know, they're my hot favourite, as you know, Richard. Very strong at the Cape Town Sevens in the last overall leg in 2022. Uh, Reports from Hamilton last weekend said that Samoa appeared to suffer a post-Cape Town hangover in Hamilton, finishing only ninth, which was uh, some come down after winning their first series, as I said, um, in 2016, uh, the tournament since 2016 back in December. 
member. So co-captain we're looking at Matavao is back to lead the the side alongside uh, Vavasa Sua and Va'a Maliko, while all eyes will naturally be on Lima Junior. So looking forward to what Brian Lima coach side will bring to the table. You know, I'm ex- so, so excited, Richard, to see how the cultural rivals will do playing with each other over the weekend. And we can ex- expect to see uh, very physical games at that. So again, hoping to catch some amazing stories uh, here, Richard. And in the women's event, New Zealand and Australia have obviously dominated for a number of years now. This season, it looks like those two again and the USA. I mean, they're already well clear of the pack, which which clearly is disappointing for Fijiana because Fijiana have shown over the last couple of seasons that they they have the potential to get into that group, but but somehow they, they just don't quite manage it. And now they're slightly cast adrift. Yes, well, you know, the Fijian women have improved um, significantly over the years. Um, But at this leg of the sevens, Richard, we are looking at the dominant Australian women and New Zealand women uh, who are looking to perform um, ever so amazingly as always in this tournament, Richard. So it's going to be a great weekend. There's no doubt about that. And uh, I'm absolutely sure you're right that the, uh, the Pacifica diaspora will be turning out in force. So uh, let's hope for some uh, good results. It's going to be fascinating to see how Tonga and uh, Fiji go in the men's tournament later today. Tia, we'll catch you uh, later in the program, talk about some of those other sporting issues of the week. But for now, thanks very much for joining us. Looking forward to it, Richard. Thank you. With Pacific Beat here on ABC Radio Australia for a Friday morning. Our focus is on sport and the teams from New Caledonia and New Zealand will go head-to-head in the OFC Under-17 Championship Final in Suva this weekend, safe in the knowledge that the big prize has already been secured for both, namely places at the FIFA Under-17 World Cup in Peru at the end of the year. The young All-Whites made the decider with a convincing 4-1 win over hosts Fiji, while Le Cagu eventually defeated their arch-rivals Tahiti after a penalty shootout in the other semi-final. OFC's Jamie Wallers in Fiji for the big game joins us now from Suba. Jamie, good morning to you. Good morning, Richard. Thank you for having me on. It's it's always a, a, an interesting prospect, uh, a final like this, because essentially both sides really wanted those World Cup places and that's what they've secured. I mean, how do you think they will approach the final? I mean, and clearly they want to win, but is it as important to them as those World Cup places? Well, you'd ha- you'd have to ask them that, but I, I think it's it, you can make a pretty reasonable presumption that um, they've they've kind of got what they the, what they came for, uh, in terms of especially New Caledonia would have been you know knowing that uh, this is this is their best chance to perform on a on a world stage you know uh, and qualify for this under seventeen FIFA World Cup uh, that's happening later in the year in Peru. Um, that's why the two semi-finals, I guess, were, were pretty exciting because they had a, a final, a bit of a final air about them. Uh, and then the scenes at the end when um, New Caledonia won that shootout. Obviously, shootouts are uh, incredibly dramatic as they are. So, you know, they're always going to be happy when they won. But it was just a little bit of extra happiness uh, on display there. So um, I still think we're going to see a very competitive uh, final. You know, it's, it's silverware. Um, New Caledonia have never won the OFC Under-17 Championship before, so there's a bit of extra added motivation for them. And, of course, New Zealand are the defending champions, so there's their their motivation as well. And having spent a good bit of time with the two teams over the last week, 
also, you know, they are a very impressive professional group of young men who understand that having this in their footballing CV, a, a win in, in, a, in a major tournament, uh, will definitely turn a few heads in the years to come when they're moving up the up the grades. Um, some of these some of these guys are already in professional setups already, uh, so to have that in uh, that tick in, in your column um, will will mean a lot uh, in their footballing futures. And just to make the point, I mean, New Caledonia sent an under seventeen team to the World Cup in, in twenty seventeen. They lost to France, they lost to Honduras, shipped quite a few goals, but then in their last pool game. They drew 1-1 with Japan. Their captain, Jacob Jenner, was the scorer. He now plays League 2 in France for Grenoble. They played in front of a 44,000 crowd in Kolkata. And what's interesting is Japan then went on to draw with England and only lost that game on a penalty shootout. And England won the Under-17 World Cup that year. So it just shows you that, you know, maybe the likes of New Caledonia are not so far off the pace. No, not at all. And uh, I would expect them to be competitive in their group uh, when we find out what it is uh, later on in the year because they, they play a very attractive style of football. They're very fast. Um, they, they will win, if nothing else, they'll win a few fans uh, when with the way that they play. Um, and, and then for New Zealand as well, we uh, the, the New Zealand uh, Federation is obviously moving into a new World Cup cycle and some of these guys may well be on the cusp of uh, making the, the senior team for the next World World Cup because uh, of the qualification system um, that will be in place for a new expanded uh, senior men's World Cup next time um, New Zealand have the best chance to to possibly qualify. So I think a lot of those boys will be having that in the back of their mind uh, as well because by that stage they'll be, you know, 2021. Um, and, yeah, like I said, uh, some of them are already in uh, professional setups already. We talked the other week about Marley Lulawai at um, Manchester City. We also had Adam Watson uh, from Stoke City scoring a hat-trick in that semi semi-final. Um, and Luca Connor, who's just signed with Western United in, in Melbourne, uh, uh, Luca Coveney rather, uh, who's signed with uh, the uh, with Western Sydney and Melbourne, uh, Western United rather. God, I'm getting tongue tied this morning, sorry, Richard. Uh, and you know, there, there's a lot of guys as well involved with the Phoenix and, and Wellington. Um, and then for the New Caledonians, like you mentioned, um, there's a lot of uh, uh, eyes of, of big French clubs on those islands. Uh, keeping keeping an eye on the talent to um, take them over and give them a go in uh, in, the, in their league setup. Interesting, you mentioned the name there of uh, Luca Coveney, uh, son of Vaughan, who, who for a long time, uh, until relatively until quite recently, in fact, was New Zealand's all-time top scorer at senior level. He was overtaken by Chris Woods, I think, last year. Um, now, Luca could play for Australia or New Zealand. Currently, he's in the New Zealand camp, but I guess he, he's playing under seventeen, so he, he could yet swap sides, couldn't he, at senior level? That's correct. That's correct. Um, I had I had a good chat with uh, with both uh, Luca and and Vaughan um, during the week, and I mean that that uh, possibility is is open. Um, it's it's obviously one that was taken by uh, Gianni Stensness um, uh, earlier this year. I mean, and that's and that's just the way the world is at the moment. You know, we we remember we talked last year at the Women's Nations Cup about how these these teams are pulling in players from from all around the world because that's simply uh, a, a way of being competitive. That's the same for New Zealand uh, as well. There's a lot of offshore-based players. And at this level, you know, the, the option there is open for them to represent other nations um, when they when they mature. So, you know, for his career, it's it's just another potential career path that, that, uh, that he might be on. 
Okay, so the big game, uh, New Zealand against New Caledonia. Fiji and Tahiti will play off for third place. Just one other thing I wanted to discuss with you, that, that the calendar has, is out for the year for, the, for OFC and uh, all the various tournaments that will be played both at club and international level. Uh, particularly interested in the Women's Champions League. I mean, th- this, this will be new. Um, how, how is this going to play out exactly? Because there aren't too many well-established women's leagues in the Pacific. Yep, yep, fair call. Uh, but uh, by we're hoping that by establishing this Champions League that we can then promote the growth of uh, women's uh, football in the, in the region and therefore give give clubs um, another incentive to to fund their their women's programs, um, develop players, and then give them this platform um, to to play on uh, with a, obviously a trophy and financial incentive there at the end. So this is. This is the first time we're doing this. Um, it had been delayed, like a lot of other things, by by COVID. Um, and you know, it's a great year for the women's game to be taking centre stage uh, for us because obviously um, New Zealand and Australia are co-hosting the World Cup later in the year. So, so that's coming up in in March uh, in in Papua New Guinea. Um, and yeah, it's uh, at the moment it, it's it's starting off with I believe uh, eight teams and looking to expand um, at at one point. Um, and looking to mirror the outcome of uh, the our, our men's Champions League, whereby the winner will qualify for a FIFA Women's Club World Cup, which is hopefully going to be established um, either this year or next. So that's part of the, the broader women's strategy that we have. Um, we're looking to really uh, pour a lot of resources and grow the women's game uh, over the next sort of World Cup cycle so that by, by the time uh, within... By the time the next Women's World Cup happens, you know, we have a, a solid foundation of, of established professional uh, players uh, that can benefit their, their, uh, their host nations. OK, Jamie, we'll leave it there. It's going to be fascinating to see how that Women's Champions League plays out later in the year and the final in the OFC Under-17s over the weekend. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Thanks very much, Richard. Great chatting. That's Jamie Wall from OFC in Suba for the OFC Under-17 Championship Final. And uh, talking women's soccer, of course, P&G, they're in uh, New Zealand at the moment, preparing for a, a World Cup playoff against Panama next month. Sh- should they win that, then they would play either Chinese Taipei or Paraguay. And should they win that, they'll be off to the Women's World Cup. And that will be some achievement if they manage to pull it off. And we'll uh, tell you more about that as we get closer to the big day. man with his hands on the front page this morning is uh, Nick Fogarty. Nick, good morning to you. Morning, Richard. Now, uh, we've seen a repeat of an all-too-common story in the Papua New Guinea highlands. Unfortunately, uh, further outbreaks of tribal violence, uh, deaths in Enga province and children being kidnapped, I believe. Yes, uh, the PNG Post Courier is reporting that 11 children under the age of 10 had to be rescued by security forces earlier this week after they were kidnapped from Tole village by armed assailants and were driven away in a stolen 10-seater vehicle. Uh, But thankfully, they were intercepted by police and army special forces a short while later and were all physically unharmed. Um, It's reported that the children were kidnapped following a massacre in their village where 11 villagers were killed, and that was apparently in retaliation for the killing of two people from another village. Uh, Enger's police commander, acting superintendent, George Kakas, has condemned the killings and he says it's a symptom of unverified statements and innuendo being spread on social media. Yeah, 
It's uh, strange how often social media has a role to play in extraordinary situations like that. Now, there are moves on a more positive note to add another Pacific location to UNESCO's World Heritage List. Yeah, this time it's French Polynesia, which has filed an application to make the Marquesas Islands a World Heritage Site. Radio New Zealand's reporting that the listing was first suggested in 1993 by officials in the Marquesas and French Polynesia's culture minister, Hera Moana Mamatuahihutapu, has been working on it for the past eight years and the World Heritage Committee now has 18 months to examine that bid. The bid has the full support of France, of course, which actually filed it as the administrative power and the French President Emmanuel Macron says it reflects his wish to project the country's diversity. Now, the French Polynesian culture minister, I I gather he's saying this is a unique bid. So what what makes it unique? Well, he says it's the most complicated ever submitted uh, as it involves both the natural and the cultural heritage of the archipelago. And it certainly looks naturally beautiful in the photos I've seen with those green mountains rising up from the deep blue bay of Nukuhiva. So if it's successful, it'll be French Polynesia's second UNESCO World Heritage Site after Tapu Tapu Itia Marae on Raya Tea was listed in 2017. I think I want to go there. And now an Australian company is partnering with a famous international tech billionaire to work on an interesting new climate change mitigation tool. And this will make people sit up, I imagine. Yes, there's a Perth-based startup uh, that's aiming to feed seaweed to cows in order to reduce the amount of methane that they burp out uh, as methane traps heat 80 times more effectively than carbon dioxide. uh, And it's apparently rising in emissions globally. So uh, looking to reduce that. Um, And it's been shown that adding seaweed to cow feed can actually reduce methane formation in cow's guts by more than 80%. So the Guardian's reporting that the Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates is leading a $12 million investment in that company. And he's previously spoken out about the climate impact of meat eating. And he's also advocated for people to switch entirely to consuming Synthetic beef, which doesn't sound that delicious to me, but um, if it's good for the environment, then maybe it's worth it. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe we should give it a try. I'm curious to know how feeding seaweed to cows, what impact that might have if they're dairy cows. Would it, would it affect the milk, do you think? Do we know? Mm, potentially, yeah. Okay, so we might end up with seaweed-tasting milk and synthetic beef. Probably better than some of the milk that's out there at the moment. Yeah, you, yeah, you could be right. But it's, it's good to see Bill Gates. I mean, he's got more money than he knows what to do with, so it's nice to see him investing it in you know positive exactly. projects for the world. Nick, thank you very much indeed. Nick Fogarty there Thanks, with Richard. our news wrap. Pacific Beat. Now we return to the sporting fold and the sudden decision nearly six years ago now by the late Prime Minister Akalisi Pohiva to pull Tonga out of hosting the 2019 Pacific Games remains a bitter pill for Sasefo Fayao Vakata. As sports minister, he contributed to his country's written submission urging the Pacific Games Council to award the Games to Tonga so they could share, he said, in the benefits that other bigger economies in the region have enjoyed. Sasefa also served in Pohiva's cabinet, but he had left the post by the time the Prime Minister dropped his Pacific Games bombshell. Now he is seeking some sporting redemption, you might say, after taking the reins of Tonga's men's rugby A-team for the Pacific Challenge to be hosted by Samoa in May. The Level 2 coach will be looking to the future of Tonga rugby by working entirely with local talent. But, as Jordan Fennell reports, the Solomon Islands prepares to host the Pacific Games for the first time in November, 
Sosefo says it breaks his heart to think about the sporting opportunities that Tonga have missed out on. It was May 2017 when Akalisi Pohiva told his people that Tonga was pulling out of the Pacific Games. And as one of the instigators in his country's successful bid, Sosefo Feo Vakata was crestfallen. Sports is not a priority in Tonga, and probably in most Pacific Islands. They think sports is, frankly, it's a waste of time. When I was in politics, I was trying to prioritise sports. Tonga's withdrawal was a car crash waiting to happen for a number of years, as the war of words played out between Prime Minister Pohiva and his bitter political rival, Lord Fred Savelli, who was head of the Games Organising Committee. Speaking to Tangata Pacifica in New Zealand in 2016, Lord Savelli acknowledged that delivering the games would be tough, but the rewards for Tonga, he said, would be worth the effort. OK, there will be some difficulties. Cracking that is not easy, but part of nation building is having the determination and the vision for the future. Meanwhile, Akalisi Pohiva was doing his best to remove Fred Savelli, arguing that the former Prime Minister had too much power. We had to review the executive power given to Fred Savelli, 60% or even more of the bulk of, of work entrusted to him had been removed from him. We had also to review the salary. But the Pacific Games Council told Mr Pohiva he had no authority to remove the Games chief executive and Lord Savelli survived. They asked me uh, to stay on and I said, look, I've been asked to come and do a job. We have a contract. But the main thing, we are here to do a job for Tonga. But just a year later, the rug was pulled from under the CEO's feet as Tonga bailed out, with Mr Pohiva claiming that his country could no longer afford the games. Sosefo Feo Vakata was stunned. He did it by himself. A few of his colleagues, they probably knew, but for us, independents and others, we were all surprised. The Deputy Prime Minister, he was travelling that time when Chris made the announcement. And I thought it's a waste of money, but, you know, I don't believe in dialysis machines bringing to Tonga, but... Unfortunately, we have to. But I think we'd rather spend the money in making Tonga play sports and educating Tonga in how to eat properly. I think if we spend the money in making Tonga play sports, I think we will be a very happy and healthy country. But despite the blow of losing the event, the former sports minister is still convinced about the benefits that sport can bring to Tonga. The discipline of rugby in sports, it helped to shape up the quality and the character of the players to become good citizens. That's what's not really recognised by most parents apart from the healthy side of sports. But most of all, sports unite the country. When our national team is doing well, when our rugby league, Matematonga team is doing very well, now our netball team, the Tara, are doing good. You know, everybody comes together and support and we're happy. And yes, I was very disappointed with the cancelling of the Pacific Games. Oh, man. Now, six years on, in his new role as coach of Tonga Rugby's A-team, Sosefo is now out to prove his point about the power of sport by building a squad of local players. That's my hope and my wish. And I've done that with all my teams that I've travelled with. And we have been successful, I think. We can coach the skills in Tonga, but not the experience. There's no shortcut to experience. Our school competitions, they play less than 10 games. Club rugby, the year before, we played five games. So we will have to play three years to make it to that amount of game that overseas players are playing in one year. 
there are some overseas players that they wish to be included in the team, they'll be welcome. They'll be welcome. But by the tournament, I think my players, they will have very good skills. Sosefo Feo Vakata has a long history of rugby coaching in Tonga at high school and club level and at world championships with national under-19 and under-20 sides. Now he's gearing up with the A-team to take on Fiji, Samoa and Japan at the Pacific Challenge. But it's what happens after that which concerns him. However, he has confidence in Tonga Rugby's CEO, Peter Harding, to lead continued growth in the sport. Okay, Peter is here and I uh, hope we'll get it running soon. We need local players and we need an academy. After this year's tournament with the under-23, that they'll be looked after. All the players that I've taken, we came back being successful and then nothing's been done for them, except for those that left to play overseas. I'm looking forward to the challenges and I know it's not easy, but I'm very hopeful that we'll do well in the tournament. We'll never know what difference hosting the Pacific Games might have made to Tonga's sporting landscape, but plans to upgrade Teu Fiver Stadium, Lotto Tonga Football Complex and the Atelli Indoor Stadium and build a new aquatic centre largely fell by the wayside. And Sosefo is not optimistic about Tonga being given a second chance anytime soon. In Tonga at the moment, we don't have opportunities for the Tongan citizens and youths and children and players to enjoy proper facilities and coaching. And I think we've missed the bus, we've missed it. And I'm not sure if we will ever be hosting Pacific Games in the future. Well, it's nice to think that maybe they would be given a second chance at some point, but uh, yeah, it could be a few years away yet. Former Sports Minister Sosefa Feavakata, and now the new coach of Tonga Rugby's A-team, reflecting on the importance of sport to his country and that great opportunity that was lost when Tonga bailed out of hosting the 2019 Pacific Games. Next on Pacific Beat this morning, it's been 25 years since Papua New Guinea last took part in the World Cross Country Championships, but they will have a nine-strong team on the starting line for the 2023 event to be hosted by Australia next month in Bathurst, a city more famous for motor racing. It'll be the first time that the championships have been staged in Oceania, and the PNG athletes are already in Australia on the Gold Coast, in fact, finalising their preparations for competition. Carl Evans has been speaking to the president of Athletics PNG, Tony Green, who says while Papua New Guinea certainly has the terrain for cross-country, Queensland has proved to be the ideal training ground. You might think the terrain is ideal in PNG, but the training environment is not great. It's been good up to a point. You know, the athletes have obviously done a lot of work here. But, you know, for this final period leading into the event, they needed, I think, a change of environment to boost them a bit. And some competitions in Brisbane at this time. So it's uh, mainly just to freshen them up and get them motivated. So this will be the first time PNG has competed at the World Cross Country Championships, which is held next month in Australia in over 25 years. How did it all come about? Well, we applied a couple of years ago. World Athletics has a program called Athletics Olympic Dividend where member federations can apply for a project-based grant. And we said, okay, look, we've got this World Cross Country Championships in Bathurst in two years' time. You know, it's a good opportunity to develop distance running, put some special attention on distance running, aim to having men's and women's team attend that event. We thought it would raise the profile and the standard of our runners, and, you know, and that'll have benefits for us, obviously, in other competitions as well, like the 
Pacific Games. You mentioned the Athletics Olympic Dividend Fund. I noticed the word Olympic, and I know cross-country is not an Olympic sport, but I imagine something like this will have roll-on effects to other events like the Pacific Games and even the Olympics going forward in events such as the Marathon and, and 1500. Is that sort of how it works? Well, uh, we're aiming to have cross-country in the Olympics uh, in 2028. I know that's one of the big ambitions of Sebastian Coe, uh, World Athletics President, and they've been pushing for it. So hopefully by 2028, it'll be in the Olympics. So in terms of how you landed on uh, the Gold Coast, uh, did, did they boast some really good facilities to help you prepare? No, it's just a matter of building on existing relationship. We have a, a very good set up there with Brett Green, uh, no relation to myself, but Brett Green uh, has been our head coach uh, for a last couple of big games we've had. So Brett is based there and he's got other coaches that he works with our athletes in specialist events. And Oceania Athletics are also at the Gold Coast. So that was a logical place for us to base these athletes for this period of final preparation. Now, I know they've been there since December. There's a fair few distractions up there for uh, for young people. How's their preparation been going so far? Oh, <laughs> it's been going well. They've got various different things they do uh, on different days, different types of training. I know the Gold Coast does have a lot of a lot of attractions, but, you know, it's a tourist destination, obviously. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously good things to enjoy there, but you need money to do that. And uh, obviously, we're a bit limited in what we can provide to the athletes in that respect. So they'll be competing uh, in Bathurst next month. Will all nine be competing? Uh, we're still finalizing positions. There's actually a, a couple more athletes uh, to be added because we'd like to field teams in three events for like the Open Men's 10K. To make a team, you need four athletes. Same for the girls. Um, and we'd like to field a relay team. So it looks like we're, we're not going to be able to field a full team of girls. So we might have just three girls and five open men and a relay team. And just in terms of expectations, I know it's your, your first time back in the competition uh, in essentially 25 years. What do you hope to achieve? We know that we're not going to be competitive at the world level. But I think sometimes these events are not just about performance. It's about giving the athletes that experience and you know, we're building towards other things. We just want them to go out there, enjoy themselves and do their best. We don't expect, uh, you know, anything great. Out of curiosity, what separates a cross-country race from that, say, uh, a marathon? I know a marathon's very long, but is cross-country more grueling in rough terrain? Traditionally, it's been a winter sport in Europe. So cross-country has always been seen as a good preparation for a track season. So, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, they have cross-country during the winter and then they go to track in the spring and summer it's a different discipline it, it is different and uh, but a lot of people do compete in both and i suppose if the sport does become uh, an olympic sport do you see the sport as something png could be competitive with going forward well at the moment to be honest png and the the, the islands generally we're a long way behind the world standard in our distance running we're closer to the world standard in sprints so, you know, we've, we've got a, a long way to go to be competitive in the distance. So it's a matter of, you know, having our own goals and what we want to achieve locally uh, here in the Pacific. You know, the Pacific Games is, uh, is our Olympics. Yeah, that's coming up in Honiara later in the year. Tony Green there, the president of Athletics PNG. He was speaking to Carl Evans. ABC Radio Australia is the trusted voice in the Pacific, connecting our neighbours with news, music, sport and conversations for all ages.
people were thinking maybe these guys were trying to get into the country almost uh, undercover, which would be odd, really. For many people, this is when the integration truly began. The parts of the brain that control memory for familiar music seem to be relatively preserved. The trusted voice in the Pacific. ABC Radio Australia. And you're with Pacific Beat for a Friday morning. I'm Richard Hewitt. Being Friday, we're on a sporting theme. We're going to take a look at some of the issues of the week now. We're going to go back to Sydney to rejoin Tia Rocco, who's in town to cover the World Rugby Sevens tournament this weekend. But we're going to talk about one or two other issues as well. Tia, welcome back. Yes, good morning again, Richard. Now, first up, uh, the Fijiana Andrua. Um, I, they're going to have a new name. Um, whether that'll be in time for the new season or not, I don't know. Um, any clues at this stage as to what they might be called? Well, definitely something, a name that has a cultural significance or depicts uh, something that is cultural, Richard. So our friends from the Fiji Times reported that there is a search for a new name, a new name that epitomizes a Fijian woman. So um, the uh, acting chief executive officer, Tevita Tuiloa, confirmed that there were uh, plans to change the Fijian and draw name, and they were working with the Ministry of Itauke Affairs on finding the perfect match, Richard. And I suppose for the likes of you and I uh, reporting on the team, it would make life a bit easier because I, I think by calling both the men's and the women's side, uh, Andrew, it, it's caused quite a bit of confusion. Yeah, it's a bit of a stumble when we're trying to, uh, you know, talk about each of the different teams. So, you know, as we all know, the Fijian Andrew won the Super W title in its inaugural e- year last year. And um, they're looking to face the Brumbies in their opening match in Prince Charles Park. So we're not looking at a name change uh, definitely this year, but it will be next year uh, because of marketing um, issues uh, that surround the name campaign. Yeah. Wow. Okay, oh, well, we'll stick with the confusion for now then. Now, talk, talking of uh, confusion, the Fiji Rugby Union had their special general meeting uh, last weekend, and you and I talked about this topic a couple of weeks ago. We were wondering whether Frank Brani Marama would hang on to the presidency. Um, well, he has for the time being, because they haven't had the vote yet. That will come up at the annual general meeting in April. But how do you think things play out? Because I gather you've been hearing one or two things uh, on the coconut wireless over there in Fiji about what's happening behind the scenes. Yes, definitely, Richard. So the week before last, you and I talked about the obvious nepotism, the blunders and the mess created by the former and some of the current leadership of Fiji Rugby uh, that put the wheels into motion about the you know, discussion around corruption that exists in this very uh, once very uh, respected institution. So, you know, reports are coming in from Fiji about the, the SGM uh, I wanted to talk about how the Fiji Women's Crisis Centre has notably been standing at the door waiting for an invitation to come in and set some strategic involvement in the code, especially around the topic of women and also the treatment of women. And we're looking forward to the uh, the AGM in April. And, you know, Richard, given the allegations of the Fijian and Drua team in 2022, can we expect to see a board that is gutsy enough to undertake a national review of all of its 
women's competition to safeguard the plight of women. You know, the New Zealand Women's Rugby did this in 2022 where they undertook a, a review. The Canadian Women's uh, Rugby also did this. And what an amazing improvement this has been, not only to the uh, organisation, but to the team culture, Richard. So reports coming in late last night, uh, we talked about the team manager who, interestingly, Richard, um, has been accredited by World Rugby as the first female match commissioner in the Pacific. So Fijiana player payments were sent to her in a personal bank account to which some of the players were never paid, Richard. Again, an issue that will never be addressed uh, due to the ongoing nepotism and favouritism uh, that exists in this institution. As I mentioned last week, or the week before last, SNC coach, again, is back uh, in the Fijian and fold. Uh, Vital uh, is his name. And, you know, this this uh, conversation, it goes against the safety of girls. Um, you know, we expect a team that is professional, but here we are worried about their safety aspect. And, and this is something that we will continue to talk about because women are anxious. The reality is on the ground that women are anxious about their safety. And what we need is a board, board that is gutsy enough to address the issues and again news late last night Richard we also hear in relation to the recruitment of a new CEO Oceania Rugby's uh, Fijian Kauli Sam Bao's name has been thrown around uh, he's pretty popular with some in Fiji and the acting CEO is actually shaking things up putting lots of people on notice so Richard you know more to hear about in the next coming weeks we also hear that in relation to the Fijiana draw coaching staff um, that with the 2023 Super W competition coming up, still no news on who the coach will be, Richard. All right, so plenty we know, plenty we don't know, and uh, plenty we will know, I guess, in due course. Now, to a subject which, frankly, has baffled me for, for a long time, uh, and this is the way that the NRL players switch clubs. And an outstanding example, Stephen Crichton, the Samoan international, kicked that famous uh, drop goal to win the semi-final against England in the World Cup. He's leaving Penrith to go to the Bulldogs, but not this season. He's going to play another season at Penrith, and then he'll go to the Bulldogs next season. I mean, why do the NRL allow this to happen? Because surely it must send out bad vibes to fans, to fellow players, and just really cause a bit of a nasty taste in the mouth, I would have thought. Yes, Richard, this was a topic I was looking forward to discuss last week, but of course we had a network shut down on the morning of our live TV discussion, which is much um, to the joy of living in very remote NT. But in a nutshell, yes, Penrith were about to make an offer, about to, meaning since May last year in 2022, so they held him out until the club in January 2023 determined their salary cap position. And this was approved by the NRL just the week before last. So it wasn't until then Penrith knew that they could offer Crichton. So in essence, uh, Richard, it could be said that Penrith had left him hanging in the wind and um, more interested in his peers and then treated him as an afterthought. So Richard, with the backdrop of the uh, complex discussions happening with the RLPA that will affect players. Even There was even talk of a strike. Players were um, asserting that they just wanted to play and they did, not have to, um, they did not want to have to worry about their livelihoods. And um, I remember the, the likes of Michael Sivo, Tane Mill and so many other Pacific players, you know, putting out uniformed posts um, on social media referring to the NRL that this is just 
um, not just about the pay and to the RLPA that they wanted to be listened to, Richard. So in essence, we're hoping that, you know, the message is loud and clear. This is a very messy situation and a terrible predicament for players to be in. And it demonstrates how the sport is very much commercial, uh, commercialised machinery, Richard, and a clear example of players being treated as commodities. So an interesting issue worthy of a wider discussion. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, I would I would agree with you on that. And one last point, uh, something else that we didn't get a chance to touch on uh, last week. Eddie Jones taking over as coach of the Wallabies in succession to Dave Rennie, who's, who's been dismissed. Now, the thing about Dave Rennie is he has Pacifica heritage and he'd worked very hard on building Pacifica culture uh, within the Wallabies camp and dealing with the various cultural needs of the players and getting each other, the players to understand each other's cultural needs. Um, do you think that can continue under Eddie Jones because he doesn't have the same sort of background? Look, on this topic, Richard, one of um, our journalists, Craig Novenberg, said that, you know, this is why we love sport. It's Shakespeare and steroids. Uh, but, you know, we can expect a, a shake-up in the Wallabies camp under Jones, who will also be in charge of the Australian uh, Wallaroos women's team. Mixed emotions regarding the demise of the New Zealander with uh, Polynesian heritage. So, Rennie, depending on the lens that you're looking in uh, or looking through, uh, you know, very much uh, there's, a, you know, a segment of the population who didn't like his uh, sudden uh, ejection from the uh, Wallabies squad. I like Rennie's style, Richard, in terms of his inclusive inclusivity and trust when it comes to specific players in the Wallaby camp, Richard. A coach with an impressive record when it comes to Super Rugby, especially to his success with the Chiefs. Under his leadership, there seemed to be a shift at Rugby Australia. Look, the whole Australian team has come under a lot of scrutiny in the past, but one almost gets the feeling with Rennie that the gloves were taken off and we were on a journey together with the Wallabies. What can we expect? Hopefully this growing fan engagement continues its trajectory. Pacifica uh, inclusivity continues to grow and we wish uh, Coach Rennie well in his uh, future coach engagements and other endeavours with him. Yeah, I have a feeling he might be uh, snapped up by another team quite soon. We'll see how Eddie Jones goes back in the role after, what, nearly 15, 16 years since he was uh, dismissed. Tia, thank you very much indeed for your time. Uh, enjoy the Rugby Sevens. I'm sure it's going to be a great weekend yes. there in Sydney. Always good to be here. Thank you, Richard. Tia Rocco there with her thoughts on some of the sporting issues uh, of the weekend uh, in Sydney for the World Series event uh, featuring the round five of the men's and uh, round four of the women's. Just a quick word about Raphael Liai, young Solomon Islands soccer player we were talking about last week. He's currently uh, with a Bosnian club, Velej Mostar. And the idea was he was going to go from Bosnia onto Turkey to trial with the side there. But it's, speculation is now he's already done so well. He scored a goal, created a goal and hit the bar in a practice match for the Bosnian side that they may very well offer him a contract. And if he were to sign for the Bosnian team, he would be the first Solomon Islands player to play professionally in Europe. And the hope is that maybe the European scouts would come to the Solomon Islands and look at one or two more of their players. Pacific Beat. 
that's it from this edition of Pacific Beat, the Friday morning sporting edition. Jordan Fennell will be along with the afternoon programme at 5 past 3 PNG time this afternoon. Pacific Review can be heard at various times over the weekend as we take a look back at some of the stories of the week and then Pacific Beat returns in its regular morning slot at 5 past 6 PNG time on Monday morning. Your host will be Priyanka Srinivasan. If you're by any chance heading to the Sevens in Sydney, enjoy your weekend and what I'm sure will be top class Sevens rugby. If not, watching it no doubt all around the Pacific. Good luck to the Pacific Nations. I'm Richard Hewitt. Have a great sporting weekend.